Andrew Lewis, an Army veteran and construction business owner, can now add representative to his many titles. I recently sat down with Andrew to hear how he ended up in the Pennsylvania House of Representatives. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. In this episode, I'm meeting with state representative Andrew Lewis. Uh, Andrew, welcome to Brews and Views. Thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for having me on the program. This is amazing. Yeah, well, I am glad to have you on, calling you state representative now. Uh, <laughs> it feels kind of weird, I got to admit. It feels a little weird. <laughs> well, yeah, the honorable. The, the, uh, yeah, yeah, try to get used it's to that. It's funny, and I know we, we you're starting this out, but we... um. I've been getting like these letters in the mail from different people and groups. And it says like to the honorable Andrew Lewis. And I'm like, guys, I'm no more honorable today than I was <laughs> three weeks ago. You know? <laughs> well, you are uh, uh, breaking a little bit of my tradition here. Is okay. That the, the people that have been on Brews and Views sure. are, have been in office for quite some time or out of office mm-hmm. uh, for quite some time. But because you have uh, quite a history leading up to becoming a state representative, uh-huh. um, I thought, well, let's have you on and let's get to to know some of the new folks uh, coming into Harrisburg. Um, and actually, we are in Harrisburg still. Your district is yep. in Dauphin, Dauphin County. Dauphin County, that's right. Yeah. was held by uh, Representative Ron Marsico uh, right. for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one in seniority is probably one of the uh, uh, yes. most senior members to uh, retire this past uh, uh, legislative session. So you're yep. filling some shoes that were there for quite some for time. For sure. Some very big shoes to fill and uh, has done a good job representing our district. And Ron also chairs the judiciary. Judiciary Committee. Yep. So he's he's had his hands full just doing a lot of good work for, for my district and for the community and the Commonwealth. But yeah, we are actually 7.2 miles away right now from the Capitol. So I will not have too much of a commute uh, during session days. So that's for sure. Well, l- before we get into talking more about sure. uh, what you hope to do uh, mm-hmm. as a state rep, let's talk about, uh, you know, how you grew up, what those influences were that caused you yeah. to pay attention to politics mm-hmm. uh, and talk about some of your military service, uh, at yeah. least that stuff that you're able to talk about. Of course, I know yep, having, yep. <laughs> having some uh, uh, intelligence uh, uh, background that there's probably things you can't, you'd have to kill me. I would have uh, to, and it's just not <laughs> something I want to do today. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, where, where, where'd you grow up? Yeah, uh, so I, uh, I grew up in uh, over across the, the way there in Perry County. I was actually born in Maryland. My family okay. comes from Maryland and moved up to Pennsylvania when I was about eight years old and grew up up in Perry County, Millerstown area, Greenwood Township. And do they my, have a stoplight there? They, you know what? A... They do. So we were, it's funny you should say that, we were one of the <laughs> last counties, and not in Pennsylvania, but in America, to get a stoplight. They really? put a stoplight there in Duncannon. It was the first one to go in. And now there's two. There's one in Marysville, one in Duncannon. But it was, Perry was one of the last counties in, the, in America, and that's kind of the... How was, come they didn't resist that? I mean, that <laughs> resist... I'm sure a lot of... Let's be the only hash, one. There were no hashtags back then. There were no <laughs> hashtags. You couldn't hashtag resist. So what, what brought... So what was your, uh, your parents... Uh, uh, that were they from Maryland? And, yep, they, and what brought yep. you to Perry? Yeah, so uh, a, a couple things. One, uh, we we have a, a, a local church we decided to go to in in, in the area, and also my dad uh, is a self taught drywall finisher. So mm. he had taught himself drywall, and uh, I gotta say the the economic outlook in Pennsylvania I think was a lot better and and better for building a small business at the time. And uh, so him and my brothers really uh, took off our, our family took off with our family business. So they they started they 
started once he got up here and, and really grew the family business. And uh, you are one of? <laughs> one of 11 total children and one of uh, seven uh Dudes, and I have six <laughs> brothers and four sisters. And where are you? Where do you fit? In I'm that, the uh... fifth, fifth child in the, in okay. the family. Okay, yep. all right. Very large family. We we have our own basketball team. We've got jerseys, so we we're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and uh, uh, so your brothers were in business with your dad, and I know you're in That's business right. with your brother. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. But before before yep. we get to the mm-hmm. business, so sure. you guys moved to Perry County. Yeah, running businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, is your dad or your mom um, involved? Or paying attention to politics or you know you know? I so I, I listened to my dad listened to talk radio a little bit on construction sites so I did have some upbringing of uh, helping out on on job sites and hearing some talk radio but uh, no we're not a, it's not a political family we're very much uh, community oriented and and uh, had a strong faith upbringing and and small business mm-hmm. but nobody in the family is is political really in any way nobody else has has run for office or anything like that very much entrepreneurial but you at least had a lot of <laughs> votes uh, from the family. Was it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. A lot of so uh, just for everyone listening who may not be in tune to electoral politics, um we we uh you you always want to have poll workers on election day. Yeah. Kind of monitoring helping out at the precincts and talking to voters. And so I have enough pretty much to cover the entire district <laughs> between uh, family and cousins and nieces and nephews. One, one qualification so. for office if you're able to cover the polls that you got a leg up. Uh, all right. So so yep. uh not a real political family, um, no. but um, when do you get the buck? At what age are you yeah. kind of like, you know what, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in politics. You know, as a kid, I, I, I read a lot. We, you know, my mom had us really read a lot of books. And so I read a lot of history books. And so the history really got me interested in, in public service. And it's not necessarily in running for office, yeah. but whether it was a, a either going into like a, a legal profession or some type of policy. I ended up choosing the military. Um, because I felt like that was going to be my way of serving the public. And so, but no, the, the history books and learning kind of uh, people that served, whether it's in the military or in public policy. I was a big fan of Abraham Lincoln as a kid and kind of his journey from boyhood being a uh, almost self-educated guy in his childhood all the way to growing up and, and learning law and then becoming a great attorney and then uh, going into office and, and being part of um what what obviously culminated in, in freeing the slaves and preserving the union and in this tremendous legacy. But but it all started out of very, with very humble roots. And so mm-hmm. I was inspired by that as a kid. And so I think his story as well as just my love of history kind of gave me those those early uh, I guess you could say an early bug, mm-hmm. if, if you want to call it a bug. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, I ended up my I, that uh, I would say propelled me into military service instead of say you know running for office or something. Well, like that. Y- you have uh, I think more degrees than I do, uh, <laughs> uh, which is hard to do. Uh, I've been a perpetual student, but that wasn't uh, what you did right after high school. You didn't yeah, go no. off to college. Uh, you right. uh, joined the army. That's right. That's right. You well, know, talk about how you ended up like saying, "All right, I'm going." Going straight into the army rather than yep. whether it was the school or some, something yeah. else. Yeah, so you know, it, we so I come from a blue collar family. Uh, we are we all grew up in the skilled trades, and most of us went into our own small businesses or or the drywall business. Uh, starting out, my brother Ben, who I work with now, we uh, I would spend my summers uh, helping him with it. Well, he was getting started, and so our our path kind of to to starting out on our own and getting married and stuff like that. It really revolved around getting our small businesses up and running, okay. and, and that was in the skilled 
skill trades. So uh, that's kind of where my siblings were, were going off to. And then um, as I was getting ready to graduate high school, we were at the height of the war on terror. We were President Bush was just about to launch that troop surge. And so I was like, man, there's seven of us guys in my family. And I, all of us are able-bodied guys. And I was like, you know, one of us should probably get into the military. And I really felt, so there was like a sense of duty, but there was also a really a real desire for the adventure as well. Mm-hmm. The adventure mm-hmm. of being a soldier and, and uh, going potentially to, 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 to serve in, in a combat zone. And, and I mean, who wouldn't want to go to Iraq, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I tell people, because we were in... Uh, it's of a, all it's the a beautiful desert. places. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, It's like being on vacation at a beach, but there's no, no water, water and people are shooting at you. <laughs> so if you could just imagine that. It sounds so, like the Jersey so, Shore. No, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So it's actually not yeah, a vacation. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah. so you decide, uh, I'm going to join the military. Yep. Uh, yep. And uh, you spent uh, quite a few years. Uh, I in, did. And, and you did well there. Yes. Uh, and I appreciate that. It was a very rewarding experience. The military taught me a lot. And uh, I, I learned a ton from being in the military. I was a scout for my first three years and trained in Fort Knox, Kentucky. They, we call it the School of Hard Knocks. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I, I got uh, trained up as a scout, then I went to Fort Stewart, Georgia, which is uh, with the 3rd Infantry Division. So, And being a scout is no easy accomplishment, right? I mean, I know it's, it's always hard to pout, <laughs> right. pat yourself sure. on the back, but that's... Sure. Uh, that's it, a pretty exclusive uh, group of, of folks, right? Yeah, I, I will say it's it's a combat arms job, and it is uh, it's we we are the eyes and ears of the battlefield for the commander. We we go out kind of scouts are trained to uh, conduct reconnaissance. So whether it's it's you could say ahead of of our front line or behind enemy lines, whatever the case is in a conventional setting. And so yeah, it was a it was a it was definitely rigorous the training. Uh, but I will include my infantry brethren as well. They go through an equally rigorous uh, training and. and really any combat armed soldier. So it's not, I wasn't special ops, but I mm-hmm. uh, did definitely uh, have a, uh, some rigorous training. So you're, you were in, uh, what, nearly 10 years, I think, That's active right. duty yep. Uh, yep. and uh, had a good, uh, you know, year and a half or so in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, I ha- yeah. That's right. 15 months over in Iraq. Okay. Yep. Uh, what, can you tell any stories sure. uh, from that? No, that yeah. Uh, um, it was, so at the time we were, the troop surge happened in um, right before we were part of the troop surge, about 30,000 troops were sent over. The 3rd Infantry Division went over, and my scout squadron, we ended up being attached to the Marine Corps. Uh, we started out um, in Ramadi, which is in the Al Anbar province. And so we were doing like route clearances and uh, just different various combat missions in the, we call it in theater, mm-hmm. in the theater of operations. And so we were there for a while, and then we ended up going to Fallujah, the Fallujah area. And we were there for quite a while just doing, I mean, we would do raids to capture high-value targets, uh, folks who were like making roadside bombs or helping teach people how to make roadside bombs. We were doing uh, searches and finding all these weapons caches that terrorists would hide. Um, They would bury them a lot of times. We'd find those. uh, And we would just, uh, a lot of route reconnaissance missions, route clearance missions. um, And and that was uh, in Fallujah. And we were attached to the Marine Corps there. And then we went to go back. We got assigned back under the Army Command again near uh, Baghdad in a place called Arab Jabor. And so that was, it rounded out our experience. We uh, 
did 15 months total there, and uh, it was a lot of uh, a lot of excitement. There was a lot of uh, you know things going on over there, and a lot of it was outside the wire. I spent quite a few nights on on a, on a on a dirt road in a Humvee, and mm-hmm. uh, quite a few nights on a rooftop of an abandoned building. So it was just a lot of uh, a lot of things going on. Were there? I <clears throat> I, I I don't want to touch on anything yeah. that you don't yeah, want to sure, touch. But sure. were there some life changing experiences for you during yeah, this time? I, you know, I want to say it definitely grew me up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I so I joined, I was 18 when I joined the Army. I turned 19 in basic training. And then less than a year after graduating basic, I was in Iraq, you know. And I, I remember I got off the plane in Kuwait before you chop her over into Iraq. And it's like, dusty and really hot. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I'm actually here. And the closest I'd ever been to a war zone was the first day of buck season in Perry County, you know, when you're just sitting there in the morning, it's getting That like, is an army out. It is I'm an sure, army yeah. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you're in Gettysburg or something, just lots of rounds going off and deer running around. But um, no, so there I was. And so it, I will say that 15 months certainly grew me up. Uh, it strengthened my faith, uh, really um, just taught me the goodness of really our country because serving with these guys who are good good guys. And you see a lot of like bad press on TV about the military. You, you hear the, the bad things that happen, yeah. a few bad apples. But the guys I, wor- I worked with over there were just phenomenal. Uh, we all trusted each other with our lives. And uh, it was overall a very maturing experience. And overall, I would say a, a net positive experience in my life. So uh, after you come back uh, from Iraq, yeah. uh, you are then selected uh, to be part of the Army uh, Counterintelligence That's Agency. Right. Is that... Uh, it where- is. So yeah, there's a... Um, in the military intelligence fields, there's a couple. the 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 job counterintelligence agent is one that you kind of uh, get selected um, to do. Uh, if you if you have any interest in it, and you can get selected, and then you go train. They have a special agents course in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, and so um, I was interested in the job. I felt like as a scout, I had I had a you know it was a rewarding experience, and I thought you know if I can. Um, do, do this new role, it would it would really enable me to have a bigger impact because you're helping to protect classified information. You're helping to protect sensitive information. And I felt like this would be a way to have a bigger impact uh, as a young, at the time I had been selected for promotion to sergeant. So I was a young sergeant, about to be a young sergeant. And uh, yeah, I was selected for it and went off to Arizona to train for four months. Uh, and then you ended up in Korea for That's a right. couple yep. years. My uh, first, yeah. yeah, my first assignment was in South Korea. Uh, I was stationed down in Camp Carroll, which is toward the southern end of the country. And my wife and I had recently been married, so we were newlyweds. And and Renee and I went down there. We lived in a little apartment in Wagwan. I actually had a little Vespa scooter that I would use to get nice. back and forth. It was very cool. And actually, Renee and I both rode on it once to get onto base. <laughs> it was it was quite a quite a cool uh, mode of transportation. But yeah. So, so uh, you, I know you've got three boys, and you brought yeah. Renee into this conversation. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're married in the yep. middle of a military yes. career. That's right. Right, Start yeah. having uh, yep. uh, children. Uh, we yet? did. We did. And Renee is a trooper. She has been through quite a bit. Her <laughs> her dad was a fighter pilot in the Air Force, so she grew up in a military family. Mm. And uh, she was just uh, she's she's been fantastic. But yeah, we had our first son Jeffrey over in in Korea. He was born in Tegu, which is in the central southern central part of the country. And uh, it was it was an experience for sure. Well, so then what brings uh, you guys back to the states uh, from Korea? Yes, so you usually tours in Korea are a year long with the army, and mine was two because if you go over there uh, already married, they usually assign you for two years. It's called command sponsorship. The command allows you to come over, but you, you set up for two years. Uh, and and we after our two years, it was time to move on to 
the next assignment. And the Department of Defense nominated me to be uh, assigned to the White House military office. And so I went up to um, the White House Communications Agency, which is under, it's called WAMA, White House Military Office. And they've got several divisions under them, Marine One, Air Force One, um, the Naval Food Service, the different agencies under the White House Military Office. And one of them is communications. And it's mostly run by Army personnel. It's a joint agency. So there are other services that make up that, that agency. But I went, uh, yep, and I was assigned there uh, for the next few years. And what what what'd you do that? Any yeah. any good stories Interesting. from that time? You know yeah. that that of all the assignments I've had, I can tell probably the fewest stories from my time <laughs> at the White House Communications <laughs> Agency because it's very much under wraps. But I can say um, it was a very rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I I was there during the Obama administration, mm-hmm. so I was there under a, a Democratic president. But of course, in the military, you're in uniform. It's the commander in chief. There's no po- politics yep. involved. Uh, but I was on the advance team, so I would go out ahead of. Uh, POTUS, uh, the president, and work with Secret Service and other military staff to mm-hmm. make way for the president. Mm-hmm. So I've been to Africa. I've been I've been to Iowa. I, I've been to different <laughs> Africa, yeah, Iowa, yeah, different. Yeah. You know, they run the kind of the gamut there. Uh, but no, so so I uh, that that was a, a very rewarding experience. Mm-hmm. I ran um, I ran a lot of personnel security, vetted folks for a White House assignment, and then I actually was put in charge during the end of my. Um, tour, I was put in charge of the information security branch and helped to develop policies to protect classified and national security information at the White House Communications Agency. So uh, at what point did you say, you know what, uh, military career is not for me. I'm going to uh, go into the construction business. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my roots are in construction. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it was how I grew up in small business. And every time I would come home uh, for holidays and to see the family, because I came home as, as much as possible. And my brothers were always planning, you know, their business expansions and things like that. And I would be part of those conversations. And I love small business. <laughs> uh, and, and what I determined in the military, you have a 20-year retirement system. So if you stay in the full 20, it's, it's fantastic. You can end up uh, qualifying for retirement. If you stay in for 10 and you're going to get out, you probably want to get out by the time you hit the 10-year mark. You don't want to be like 12 or 13 and then get out because you're only seven years from retirement. So mm-hmm. it made sense for me. I was nearing my 10-year mark and I was like, well, I'm not going to do the full 20. And I felt like, you know, I, I've really been able to, I felt like I, I'd had an impact in the military. I did my tour of duty in overseas in, in Iraq. I had done my tour of duty overseas in Korea. I had done uh, a, a very exciting tour at the White House. And I felt like, you know, I've kind of done a lot of the things I would love to do in the military. And so now I think it's great. Let's move the family home and get involved in the small business community. So I, I, I decided to do that. And my wife and I talked about it and we decided we, so we, we got out of the army, we moved home. I transitioned to the national guard, which is one weekend a month versus full time and, uh, started, uh, growing the family business. And, uh, you still will serve as the COO of tradesman, uh, building group. Uh, I will correct? still be yeah. very involved in uh-huh. our company. I'm a co-owner. I will not be running operations day to day. I'll be actually transitioning to a senior advisor role. So I work with Ben um, to really guide the company strategically, make sure we're making the, the right business decisions, uh, make sure that we are are moving in the right direction, continuing our growth trajectory and things like that. I authored our business plan. And so just making sure we stay on course with that. So I know you have uh, said, I think uh, I would do well in public service, uh, whether it was running for Congress yeah. or state Senate. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Here you are now yep. in the state house. Yes. Yes. Uh, 
Uh, I know that the issues that you've mm-hmm. uh, uh, been passionate about yeah. haven't changed no matter where you yeah, said, that's right. hey, here's where I could serve in an elected capacity. That's uh, right. What are the things that, uh, as you're thinking, hey, you're going to get sworn in in January, mm-hmm. you've got a Democratic governor in his second term, um, what are the things that you hope to accomplish as a freshman? You know, sure. you know, you're starting all over now, uh, yeah, gotcha. Andrew. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> and not, nobody cares I'm not about COO your, over yeah, at that's the, right. At the that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a really good question, and I feel like for me, a big part of public service and in serving in elected office is my hope to start to restore people's trust in 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 public in in public office. I mean there's a lot of lost trust because there are far too many, not all and even not most, but there are far too many politicians I think who get into it either for the wrong reason or they might get into it because they and then they lose their way and as a result they forget who they work for and they work for the taxpayer Mm -hmm. they work for everyday folks in the districts they represent and i think too many times people in power have forgotten that and my hope is starting with myself to lead by example and to start to restore the trust of people in the, in the folks representing them in, in government. So, we'll, and, we, and I want to talk policy specifically, but yeah. first I'll just say, you know, and that's why for me, the fir- one of the first things I did was to decline the pension because a lot of, you know, you, you see a lot of folks realize that there's this. Well, you got a big this, pension guaranteed payout for life from your business, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. False. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> He's right, joking, right, guys. Yeah. So you're right. In the private sector, every, most everyone uses a 401k. Yeah. They have to put into it and save money. Uh, families all across my district, that's how they save for retirement. They put aside money in the 401k. And that's how I determined, Renee and I decided we're going to do this even well in elected office. I'm not going to, so I have no incentive to be there for life. I have no incentive to be there to, to vest in a pension. I've declined to enroll in it. And I feel like it's my responsibility to be a citizen legislator and stand shoulder to shoulder with the folks I'm representing. And I will save for retirement just like they do. So we'll mm-hmm. continue with uh, a 401k is how we'll continue to save for retirement. So uh, given your small business background, mm-hmm. I suspect you probably have some ideas about how you can get government uh, from, you know, out of the way, stop being a hindrance to small business uh, growth and opportunity. What are some of those things that you go, man, the, if we could clear yeah. these things out of the way, Pennsylvania oh, yeah. would boom. Yeah, well, I got to say the regulatory climate in Pennsylvania is extremely hostile to businesses. I've talked to folks in the private sector and they say being in business in Pennsylvania, you never it, when they, they said, when we do business in Ohio, they say, thank you for creating jobs here. Thank mm-hmm. you for doing business in our state. They said, we never hear that in yeah. Pennsylvania. It's a hostile environment. There are lethargic government agencies who take so long, in some cases, to issue permits. And to and a lot of things that government requires you to do to grow your business, and then they turn around and, and obstruct you from doing them. Mm. Uh, it's like a self-licking ice cream cone. You know, it's just this <laughs> self-creating problem. You know, so I think one is the regulatory environment. And just zooming out a little bit, Matt, backing up just to say my focus and goal from a business standpoint in Pennsylvania is to transform our, our state. And that's the, the big part of that is transforming our economy. Mm-hmm. So Pennsylvania should really be in the top five economies nationwide. I believe we have the sixth most populous state in the country. Actually we, fifth because a, uh, Illinois has lost uh, more people. Oh, uh, gotcha. To, yeah. Due to it's bad so policies. bad. Yeah. Exactly. It's driving people out. So uh, because so of, yeah, up. that's right. Because <laughs> of Illinois' uh, uh, inability so, to. <laughs> so what you're saying is the only thing we've improved on was only because of someone else's bad because policy. Because someone's worse than us. That's yes, like yes, how I win in that's, tennis that's is I right. play someone who's far worse. It's being the skinny kid at fat camp, as I say. (laughs) (laughs) 
But no, I think, so Pennsylvania has this huge potential to be one of the top states in the country, and we rank so far behind other states in job growth and population yep. growth. Uh, we, we just have these horrible track records. And so my goal is to transform that dynamic, to really change that dynamic around. And so now zooming back into what policies will get us there. One is we need a, a regulatory climate that is friendly to businesses and lets them grow. For instance, if you require a business to have a permit, issue the permit in a timely manner. If you've got 30 days to issue it, issue it within those 30 days. We have government agencies that don't even abide by the rules that they set, mm-hmm. and it makes no sense. And a lot of people who want to invest in our state and grow our economy and build businesses here and create jobs here, they won't do it, and they can't do it because their permits don't even get approved. And so do you see that uh, we can force the hand of these regulators, which are part of the yeah. executive branch, yes. using legislation that would uh, – I, I guess, create a more business-friendly uh, climate. Absolutely. I think we, we can have reform legislation that reforms some of these agencies mm-hmm. and mandates that they they abide by the rules set by the legislature. And furthermore, I think it would be a great idea to have an oversight, uh, use the legislature more in an oversight capacity over the agencies and hold these agencies of unelected bureaucrats accountable yeah. because we in the state house are elected by ta- by voters. Mm-hmm. And so now that gives a voice and, and a, a the power back to the people to have an oversight over these agencies. I think that's that's key. Uh, so, so the regulatory environment needs to be reformed. We do have, I believe now, it's the second highest corporate net income tax rate in the country at about 10%. And uh, it's just been horrible. And you see Amazon recently was looking at where to move, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to, to build this huge national headquarters. And they ended up going to Virginia. But Governor Wolf offered them, I think it was four and a half, four point six billion yeah, in incentives. Yeah. And so it just baffles me to say, all right, if we were to give tax breaks, we could bring businesses in, but we're not willing to lower yeah. taxes to bring businesses. But it all and it also shows you they uh, Amazon ended up choosing uh, Virginia right. uh, that offered uh, a half a billion. Yeah. So far less. So, so yep. a, a business climate yes. in Virginia that is far better than Pennsylvania's yep. Uh, was more attractive yes. than even getting you know four and a half billion dollars in exactly. in free cash from the taxpayers. That's so. exactly right, and that's been just for the for the listener. If if you're not aware, we have some of the highest corporate welfare in Pennsylvania yep. of any other state in the country. I think is it seven hundred million a yeah, year? Yeah, not total? not some of it's, the. We are the we are highest the, okay. uh, in per capita and in total dollars uh, spent. So we're trying to bribe people to stay to, yeah. or to come here. Uh, rather than addressing the fundamentals, which is unbelievable. Our, yeah, I mean, yeah. it, and it, instead, and of, it punishes yeah. the small businesses that have been operating here. Rather yeah. than changing things, they're trying to, uh, you know, dole money out. Yeah, and uh, and they're not doling money out to drywall companies. Yeah, right. They're not doling money out to the small father. <laughs> I mean, Tom Wolf team. isn't out yeah, there. He's, no, he did not offer us any incentives <laughs> to expand the company. Uh, so absolutely not. These this these dollars are going to. I mean, for crying out loud, a couple years ago, Netflix got. What was it? Yeah. Uh, over a million Nine, bucks or something mm-hmm. to come in and film uh, a show in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh area. Mm-hmm. We're giving this to a multi-billion-dollar corporation when we have small businesses struggling, and they're the ones paying for these corporate bail for these for this welfare. Yeah. So it, it's just it makes no sense, and we have to change philosophically our approach to the business and regulatory environment in Pennsylvania if we're going to turn our economy around, and we really can. 
uh, because we've got all these competitive advantages as a state. I mean, mm-hmm. we're geographically, we are the center of the East Coast. We have excellent uh, avenues for distribution, whether it's uh, down south, up to New York, over to Washington, D.C. You can go up to uh, Boston, all of those within a day. Uh, so we've got distribution. We've got all these um, potential, all this potential as a state uh, for just solely because of our geographical location, let alone because of our institutions of higher learning, our, our motivated small business owners. We've got so many dynamic um, assets as a state. And so we should be leveraging those to be one of the top states in the country for jobs, opportunity, and families. What about uh, issues like education? Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, you know, uh, on that front? Yes. How do we make sure kids get access to the best yep. education possible yes. and, and can go into the trades? You know, if they don't yeah. want to, I mean, you ended up getting multiple degrees, a uh, right, bachelor's right. and yep. a couple master's, <laughs> sure. right? So well, yep. although you didn't do that right out of high That's school, right. yep. um, and some kids Kids, they ought to be going into the trades. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on education? Yeah. Well, for education, my goal and my vision would be that every kid in Pennsylvania has access to a world-class education, period. Um, and and the, the reality is too many kids are denied that right because they live in an area where there is no uh, great educational opportunity. They might be stuck in a, in a district where, where it is a failing school district, mm-hmm. and that's their only option. And so my goal is to have um, an environment where there's there's parents are able to determine what is best for their kids' education and make sure that our public schools, the money that is allocated, goes to the classroom and teachers are empowered to teach and money is not tied up in, in overwhelming administration costs, but rather goes straight to the kids. So are, are you for like the education improvement tax credit and scholarships? What about Absolutely. education savings accounts and yes. charter schools? So, or <laughs> so what, what are you for? Of, yeah, I, I, all of the above because <laughs> it's all expanding the choices that parents have for their kids' education. So the EITC program and the OSTC programs, yeah. I those are great programs because they actually enable businessmen and businesswomen to invest in education, and they do receive uh, a tax deduction, tax yeah, credit. Tax credit, um, yeah. But what that does is it doesn't cost the taxpayer anything because yeah. it's 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 being donated to give these scholarships to these actually, kids. Actually, the, you, you, the case can be made and has been mm-hmm. made uh, that it actually saves mm. taxpayer money because when uh, somebody funds a kid to go to a private school mm-hmm. uh, using that tax money, um, it's a fraction of the cost to attend that private school that what the, than what the taxpayer was paying in the mm. public school. So, for example, just you know, uh, a couple miles from here, the Harrisburg School District, mm. which is spending over $18,000 per kid. Oh. Uh, I'm involved in an organization that's helping with th- thousands of dollars in scholarship to go wow. to area private schools. Those kids are not you know, consuming the 18000 but for a few thousand dollars, they're wow. actually getting a better education, a safer education. And it's saving through these, the taxpayer that's dollars. Right. That's wow. right. So to me, these are the ways that we empower yes. uh, uh, these children and, and families, while at the same time, it's good for the taxpayers. Absolutely. So I'm glad to hear you're yes. all on board with for all of sure. that. For sure. School choice is so important. And, and the reality is this helps our communities. And the more competition you have in these school districts, the better the public mm-hmm. schools get. This is a net benefit to the entire community. And most importantly, it takes the focus off of saying, all right, what's best for the administration? And it pivots it back on what's best for the kids. We have to get re- realign and refocus our educational um, 
programs across the Commonwealth to focus back on the kids and back on the students to say, how best can we prepare these kids for, for either higher education or to enter the workforce after graduating school? Well, so um, uh, all those things, you know, uh, you're going to have a lot of time to work on. Uh, it's going <laughs> right. to be tough uh, always. They're, they're mm-hmm. very controversial at times. Yes. Uh, to get 102 votes, of course, that's always the challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that uh, you campaigned on uh, government reform yes. in many ways. Yes. What are the, some of your ideas that you'd like to see uh, win uh, in that sphere? Yes. So if I could, in a perfect world where I could have my <laughs> way and what I will be pushing for, I would love to see us go to a part-time legislature. Mm. Ultimately, and, and once again, zooming out to answer broadly your question and then go into some specific policy objectives. So broadly, we need to fundamentally reform government in Pennsylvania. Okay, that's that's the, the statement. We need because Pennsylvania does rank very high in corruption. We had a former attorney general who's now going to be reporting to jail. Yeah. Um, we've we've had all these these officials get convicted of, of corruption related crimes. And so we fundamentally need to reform our system of government. And, and one thing I would love to see in Texas, they have a part-time legislature. They, they come to uh, the Capitol. They pass a budget. I believe they are on a two-year budget yep. cycle. So you don't have to fight and squabble over budget And they budget only have session every other year. Uh, so that I didn't know. Yes, I didn't yeah. Realize, so, okay, so it's every two every, years. Every two years they only gather. And I think they pay uh, $6,000 um uh is the compensation <laughs> what, yes what a uh, great so they're really yeah, in it to serve that yes and they don't have a yeah. shortage of people wanting to run for yep. office uh despite uh Intr- you know, yeah yes. so and it's the right i think it's the right people motivated to do the job yeah. so i would love to see us become a part-time legislature i think that that would really motivate people with the right um kind of the right motives mm-hmm. to get involved. And it would also kind of reduce the size and scope of state government. So that that's one thing. Um, I also am a term limits supporter and a proponent of term limits. And I've pledged to introduce a term limits amendment within my first 100 days of office, which I'm going to do. And I'm excited uh, to be introducing that legislation. It's going to be an amendment. And right now we're looking at a 12-year time frame. So it would be six terms for a House member. Uh, so I'm very, very excited about those initiatives. And in the meantime, while I push those those reforms on a state level. My goal here is to lead by example personally. So we're going to be very transparent about monthly expenses with my legislative office. I have, like I said, I've declined the pension. I'm not not taking any of these special perks. I am, um, in fact, the, the next week when I take office, I will be installing a glass door on my office, in my district office, so that at any time, if a, if a constituent wants to come in and see who I'm meeting with or what I'm doing, I think they have that right. That office belongs to them. I'm paying for that out of pocket. <laughs> that is not going to be with taxpayer funds. It's going to be a glass door you can, because it's symbolic, because I believe transparency has to start somewhere. And, and I can lead by example in hoping to transform that. Uh, that dynamic of, of too much corruption in our state. I want to start by leading by example and then ultimately push for state-level reforms like term limits, like the part-time legislature, like more transparency, make every legislative account subject to an independent audit. Uh, things like that would just be tremendous to, they say sunlight is the best disinfectant, and so I would love to increase the sunlight to disinfect the state. Well, uh, Representative Andrew Lewis, uh, I appreciate your coming on Brews and Views with <laughs> Thank me. Thank you, Matt. And by the way, the brew uh, we're drinking today yeah. is coffee yes. at the uh, tradesman office with Tradesman Mugs. That's Very right. Cool. <laughs> I like it. And it was good coffee. Thank you. Sure thing. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. 
Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E. -T -T -E.